Hey, cashiers. We Have the Receipts podcast is coming at you live from Netflix is a Joke Fest in Los Angeles. Chris, are you kidding? No, Netflix is a joke, Courtney, but this is not one of them. Our listeners in LA have the chance to join us for a live recording of our podcast, We Have the Receipts, hosted by me, Chris Burns. And me, Courtney Revolution. Join us and a few surprise guests from your favorite Netflix reality shows on Saturday, May 4th at 1 p.m. at a secret location in Hollywood. To be announced. Get your tickets for the We Have the Receipts live show at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. That's todoom, T-U-D-U-M dot com slash W-H-T-R. Tickets are limited. If you can't make it to the show, we still want to hear your beautiful voice. Leave us a message at speakpipe.com slash We Have the Receipts. You may even hear your own voice on the show. Grab a ticket at todoom.com slash W-H-T-R. And we'll see you on May 4th in Los Angeles. Bye, cashiers. Welcome to You Can't Make This Up, a new companion podcast from Netflix. I'm Colin Fleming. I work at Netflix, and I'm your host for this week's episode. Every other week on You Can't Make This Up, we feature a new interviewer discussing a different Netflix original series or film with special guests. And there is something every episode has in common. The stories we talk about are all true. This week is all about The Staircase, a new true crime docuseries from Netflix. The Staircase comes from Academy Award-winning director John Xavier de la Strode. The docuseries about the mysterious death of North Carolina business executive Kathleen Peterson and the trial of her husband, Michael, comes to Netflix with three never-before-seen episodes. These new episodes bring a conclusion to a story told over 15-plus years. Here to talk about The Staircase, we're excited to have on Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi of the comedy duo Throwing Shade. They're going to discuss Michael's innocence, possible motives, and much, much more. So stick around, because here are Aaron and Brian. Hi, guys. I'm homosexual Brian Safi. And I'm feminist Aaron Gibson. We're so excited to talk to you today about The Staircase. Now, we host a podcast called Throwing Shade that looks at LGBT issues and women's issues and treats them with very little respect. So it makes sense that we're on a murder trial. They picked the right forensic experts. We are soon to have a show on HLN right after this. I have no doubt about it. Full disclosure, this is kind of interesting that we're talking about it because I've seen the first half of The Staircase yeah. back in, God, when I was six, seven years old, 2002, 2003. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you, this I is the first time I had just retired. And so I from was- From what? From, well, I was a professional dancer for 45 years. So yeah. I had just retired and I, so I had no time to see The Staircase because I was busy. So busy here, there, yeah, Brishnikov, snow globes, all that. Yeah, yeah. But- I had never seen this. I will say, for those of you who don't know, which I think is probably many of you, The Staircase is a 13-part documentary series that follows the indictment, trial, and conviction of Michael Peterson, who, let's face it, calls himself a crime author. I think his books are about – I think they're more pamphlets from what I could tell that he (laughs) – his books are about 80 pages Lifetime long. Lifetime stories for men. Also, it's always weird when novels are co-written. And a lot of well, his novels have like two writers. But they're with journalists. So he was like the fiction guy and they were like the facts guy. And right. together they came together to put together books. I don't know. I mean, I listen, if I'm going to. you? Did you read any of them? No, I... I, So you're judging by the cover? I'm judging by the cover and the length, which was like a beach read that you'd never actually want to be on the beach reading. To me, it's a prison read. So 
um, well, ironic that yeah. he would be writing these. So Michael Peterson, yeah, was uh, convicted ch- convicted for the death of his wife Kathleen. The documentary follows all of this from the very beginning to the very end. In she tw- was found dead on her staircase in their home, which Brian, you know what staircases are used for? Not for murder, no, but for-, for promenading down and greeting your guests. Um, I don't have a staircase. I wish I did though, because I really would. It sounds like they're dangerous. It's for someone else to open the door and for you to cascade down in a huge ball gown. Lengthy, lengthy train. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And so anyway, yes, Kathleen was found dead at the bottom of the staircase in their North Carolina mansion. Michael Peterson was the only person in the home at at the time. And so- Well, there were dogs there who were never, ever questioned. No. We don't know their involvement in this. No, they're English. They're too proper. They're English bulldogs. <laughs> oh, that's why. So, they could barely breathe. That's right. So this thing goes on and on and on. And the big twist in it at one point is that a family friend of his 20 years before all this was found dead at the bottom of a staircase with Peterson also being the only person in the house when this happened. And so... Listen, the only law proceedings I ever really follow, and this is legitimate, is I watch Judge Judy every night. So you're an expert. Yeah. So there's a couple things you need to know about the night that this all happened in order to kind of get the sense of why there were questions about this. Um, When you're watching the documentary, you need to know Michael Peterson is an avid, avid eyebrow cultivator. His eyebrows are I'm not trying so, to look shame. Like to the point where the defense team had to say before the trial, so you got a good night's sleep, you got to trim those eyebrows and we're good to go. Like just like <laughs> straight up threw it in there. They also, are their own cartoon network. They really are. Animated, expressive. If it were Max, if Max Fleischer had been alive mm-hmm. during the staircase, he would have gone from Betty Boop straight to Michael, Michael Peterson's, Peterson's eyebrows. eyebrows. And this does not mean that we... We'll get to whether or not we believe he's innocent or guilty. No. This is just color for you to understand what you're seeing. I made love to someone with the reddest gums I've ever seen in my life. So Michael Peterson is, uh, here are his titles, suspect, husband, veteran, author, father. We should say also that the movie was made by uh, a French team, uh, Jean-Javier Delistrade. I've never Beautiful, done that yeah. Uh, who also had actually done another documentary that he won an Oscar for that also followed someone who was convicted of murder and then subsequently uh, acquitted. Really? Which He's is... also obsessed with long, ugly shots of American highways and small towns. And so that's what also makes me think about coincidence. The, the question is whether he did this or didn't do it. Right. But to b- one or both of these women. Can I say one more thing about Jean-Javier de Lestrade? I wish you wouldn't. Uh, his production company, If we, get ready. I mean, honestly, skip the titles after you've watched the first one because you're not going to be able to get through the production company name, which is What's Up Films, which you're means right. he's either a huge Bugs Bunny fan or a Beastie Boys fan, and I cannot decide which one. What's up, films? What's up, y'all? I'm Jean-Javier de Lestrade. As a homosexual man, that's a big trigger. <laughs> I, when people say what's up to me, I immediately You're am like, like, I'm about to be gay, I step away. So Michael Peterson, it's as Brian said, just him and his wife, Kathleen Peterson, who's an executive, a wife, a mother. They're Rich mid- as shit. I mean, I mean these is- people have the most, in Durham, have the most sprawling, Durham, North Carolina, South Carolina, who knows, has the most sprawling mansion you could ever A imagine. A pool. I mean, so much so that when this, when this accident slash attack, whatever happens, he claims he can't hear him, which they then prove later that you can't hear a goddamn thing in the house. That's how huge the house is that 
someone screaming help, help, help over for five minutes straight, you can't hear on the other end of the house. Now, for the millennials and the Gen Zers who are binge watching this, who are Netflix and chilling, I just need you to know that when Michael starts telling you what happened that night, there's going to be some stuff you don't understand. Number one, they rented a movie from Blockbuster. Ex- correction. He pronounced it Blockbusters. Oh, sorry. They rented a movie from Blockbusters. That is a brick-and-mortar store that crushed mom-and-pop video stores that, in turn, was crushed by Netflix. Yes. So just so you know the chain of how that... So essentially, instead of going to your TV and the internet bringing you a movie, you had to put your shoes on. You had to go to the store. You had to figure out which cover you liked. You had to Most come back home. disturbingly was they rented the worst Julia Roberts movie in the canon, and I'm actually including American I Love Sweethearts. Trouble. They go outside, sit by the pool, Kathleen goes indoors, and then Michael finds her dead on the staircase. So, I will say that in terms of a true, this was, I think, bef- well before the true crime Serial and, yeah. boom, and it's sort of the first of its kind in that it follows every step the defense team makes in this. So, I will say, they're not really following the prosecution, although more on them later, Frida Black oh, we've got a lot the win. <laughs> Um, and also that other guy who reminds me of like I grew up in Texas. Uh, the, the main prosecutor is every D- uh, James high Harden Jr. Coach. Yep. Yes, ugh, dyes his hair. D- truly, just such a monster. Oh, wait, anyway. are you talking about the prosecution? Yes. Oh, okay, great, right, right, mm-hmm. okay. So this was sort of the first of its kind, and I think what what does make it relevant now, and what does make it stand out, is that. I think really is the amount of detail on this and not so much the amount of spin involves. They're really just showing you absolutely everything from beginning to end. I have to say, when I saw it the first time in 2005, 6, whatever, I did not view the prosecution and the criminal investigative team on the state side as harshly as I do now when I rewatched it. Like, I really saw all the things they were doing wrong. Right. First of all, in the first episode, um, assistant DA Greg Mead, who is number two to the district attorney James Harden Jr., who, by the way, is now a superior court judge, who after the trial was honored by Lawyers Weekly USA, which what what is that publication? I I don't know. I mean, I subscribe to that and Better Homes and Gardens. Oh, the the two places you get all your news. And was named one of America's top 10 lawyers of 2003. When you think about this after the fact, it's kind of grody. That you that these guys on both sides built their careers off of this this murder case. You well, that, know that's I mean, how they, it works. They, but. Did, they both did a terrific job. I mean, like I think if you're on the prosecution, that's the guy you want, and if you're on the defense, that's the guy you want. Right. So a distant DA, Greg Mead, who they're talking about. So the one of the crux, the things that people can't wrap their mind around with the way that Kathleen died is that. When you look at the crime scene, it's like she fell down the stairs. But the medical examiner found lacerations on her head. As if someone had beat her over the head seven times with the blunt object. Except that there was no contusions, there were no skull fractures, and there was no bruising. So imagine it's just her head was sliced open. So the assistant DA Greg Mead starts laughing about the idea that she just fell down the stairs and says something to the effect of, what, she just go down the stairs on her head like a pogo stick? And then laughs. And at that point, I'm I'm like, you lost me, dude. This is a woman who died. There's video, there's film cameras here. Film cameras. It was the 2006s. Yeah. What are you saying when they're not on? Like, that's ruthless to me. To just sit there and laugh about a way that a woman died. Well, I will say in the prosecution's defense... That 
they shot like 600 hours of footage. I do think at a certain point, investigating something like this over and over and over again, at, at, and it's so heavy and it's so dark, I kind of get it. I, I don't know. I just think I now have a mistrust of the American legal system. Because now? This is what did it for no, you? No, 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 not now. I think because of a lot of the political turmoil and the stuff that's kind of coming out about the dirty shit that, that cops and, and prosecutors do. Right. And the amount of fucking money. Michael Peterson would not yeah. have been able to afford this lawyer, afford this team. His team was massive. He had- I think uh, it was in, and this was in 2000. What two thousand one, two thousand two? Oh yeah, that right. This so like, and I think he spent around or over a million dollars on this. He says himself, "There's no way." And so you have to take. This is a rich white dude, and I'll get into his sexuality in a minute because that played a major part in this. This is a rich white dude who essentially the system always works for, and the only way that he could defend himself was by paying someone a million dollars. So you let that trickle down into every disenfranchised person by class, by color, everything, and then see how the legal system works for you when you have no money, when when you are assigned something by the state, and... When you are, you know, essentially what this also showed. Not was, to say that there's not people in working for the state who are good lawyers. I don't care about them. I, I'm not defending the lawyers here. <laughs> but I will I will say that, like, it takes a lot of money to mount a good defense on something you maybe didn't even do. Well, okay, so let me talk about his defense team. So he has David S. Rudolph, who's his main guy, who has the audacity to dye his hair but not his beard. I love, by the way. I ended up getting a huge crush on David Rudolph. You did? I yeah. mean, well, by the way, his background's pretty impressive. He was a public defender in Brooklyn and then took a position in UNC teaching criminal law and then got, went into private practice after that. So he spent a lot of his life really sticking up for people who didn't have someone on their side. So, And what made me so mad, especially in, in this, was when his own team, his own defense team, and Michael Peterson's brother, who's in this a lot. Who is like basically a twin. Yeah, and who honestly I would want as my father, the calmest, sweetest man. Um, but his the only difference was his gums weren't white. Was that <laughs> is that he, a deficiency like a vitamin C thing? Uh, no, I think it's the cigar smoking or the pipe smoking. Oh, get ready to, to see a man who can't say one word without a cigar in his mouth. Well, but pipe, I do sorry. have I do have to say there was something very because he was killing it in this trial. And funny, there, there wa- that's funny. Oh, yeah. He was murdering. The only thing Michael Peterson is guilty of is killing it in the trial. Yes, honey. Are you talking about David? He lacerated this trial. <laughs> and all, I was hit I was hit over the head by his moves. Listen, all I want <laughs> that's enough. All I want to say is th- at one point his own team says, "I keep watching the jury and they don't like you at all because they think you're an outsider and they think you're slick." And in my head, that meant they think you're Jewish. Wait, they think to that me, they I think that, that Michael was, Peterson. No, nope, oh. they think the lawyer oh. David Rudolph is. Oh, so I absolutely. thought there was something very anti-Semitic. Well, about when that, David actually. Rudolph has to go to Germany to investigate the first staircase murder, yes, Elizabeth Ratliff, the yeah. homicide by staircase. Yeah, he says he's like, this is really eerie for me to be here because I think about what the Germans did to my people. Yeah, like he is on alert for that kind of stuff. Well, and but he didn't even notice it in the oh, trial. No, it was his team who was like, they clearly don't like you, and they look at you with mistrust, even though, again, he like bashed me over the head with his brilliance. And the same thing when he, when he's watching Nancy Grace re- rehash the trial 
I've um, never seen someone more like, I don't even understand where she's getting any of this. That was fascinating that they did watch Nancy Grace every night just to get an outside perspective. Smart. It was smart. Ugh. So here's how many people were on the defense team. David S. Rudolph, who we spent a very long time really cementing that Brian does want to have some kind of sexual relation with. I, you know what I want to have with him? A brandy. Ron Garrett, who's an ex-homicide detective and the defense's private investigator, who's straight out of the Harvey Corman rule book, just giving me full 1970s sitcom face. Okay. Dr. Werner Spitz, the forensic pathologist. Oh, uh, with no molars. I loved him. Fierce Werner Herzog competitor. Definitely. He had that Mar- Marlena Dietrich jawline. He, it was fabulous. Okay, so he worked, let me tell and this guy is expensive. He worked on investigations of the assassinations of President John F. Kennedy and Martin Luther King. Great. And was not convinced that Chris Cornell died of a suicide. So he's got, he's like, it doesn't matter who it is. He's all, He's got his pul- finger on the, not pulses. He also was sued by John Benet Ramsey's brother. Do you know this? Mm-mm. Who spits accused of killing his sister? And in a Netflix full circle, full circle, he was the medical examiner for Sister Kathy Sesnick's death, the murder that the Netflix series The Keepers revolves around. Okay. So this guy's got his finger in all the Netflix pies. I, I also have to say, this is really also like the thing I want to get to that. I would say everyone who I've ever known who has watched this documentary pre 20 what are we in what are we in 2014 yeah <laughs> pre pre 2014 uh thought he was guilty every single person I know who watched I thought this he was guilty. thought he was guilty there is a twist in this that should have just been a matter of fact and I don't really know what the, why this was entered into anything but it essentially got to I think why he was convicted and it's that it was revealed that he's a bisexual and that he had had physical interactions with men starting I think from when he was in the military when he served and then post and he served honey and then post all of that and he had always said and I believe him that Kathleen, his wife, knew about this, that he had been seeing men on the side and that it was purely a sexual relationship and not an emotional relationship. This was a very sort of blended family. And I will say that Kathleen, the woman who fell down the stairs or was murdered or however you want to say it, she had one daughter. uh, uh, Her name is... uh, Caitlin. Oh, yeah, Caitlin, right. Her sister was Candace. Caitlin. Too many... It's basically the Jenners. It really is. Yeah. The, immediately, Caitlin is, is is on Michael's side, finds out about the bisexuality that they uncover, and immediately switches teams. That's the, that, that's that is what made her go to the other side, and that is what made the sisters also believe to Michael at the beginning. And then once they found out that he had been hooking up with men. It changed their minds and just kept talking about how nefarious it was and how dark this was and how the, no one knows who he actually is. And he's ca- if he's capable of sleeping with a man, he's capable of murdering two women. Which is which is the fact that and the two his two daughters do ultimately support him through the the trial. With, yes, with, two other with, daughters. Yes. Oh, his his adopted daughters, Margaret and Martha. Yes. Who were we should introduce this fact? Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Ratcliffe, who is the original staircase victim in Germany, when Michael is young and he's got his two sons, they are friends of the family. She's found at this bottom of her staircase. He immediately adopts her two daughters. Right. So good, like a nice guy. The fact that that wasn't like 
first and foremost, like, okay, how would, why would he adopt these children if he had murdered the first woman? And the first woman, again, he, there would, there would have really been, there was no motive for that murder. If it had been him, there was really no motive for it. She didn't have any money. It, it wasn't anything like that. And, um, back to the, to the bisexuality thing for a second. This was also in a year. So 2003, when this trial happened, was the year, uh, Lawrence v. Texas, when sodomy laws were finally struck down on the federal level. And, Sodomy laws were still on the books in North Carolina until 2003, until this happened. So you can imagine the environment in North Carolina when it deals to, I think, specifically, if we're talking sodomy, men sleeping with other men was disgusting. Scandalous, was yeah. Scandalous yeah. and disgusting to everyone involved, including uh, people close to him. So the, the first thing I want to do, this is this is a clip from the, this is when the prosecution is before the judge, not the jury, but before the judge saying, we want to enter the fact that he was a bisexual into this because it actually really does matter. So we'll play that now. It does go to motive as to why this act may have been committed. And number two, it goes specifically to rebut some issues that were raised in the, in the defendant's opening statement, um, putting in information about the idyllic relationship that, that this couple had. Well, this does not jive with, with that kind of statement. Why doesn't it jive? If it's an idyllic relationship, then why is he emailing somebody else to meet for sexual relations outside of the marriage? You know, you're talking about a, a potential love triangle type thing here, and I think clearly that's a motive for murder. If it's not a motive for murder, then the entire soap industry dies because that's what they base all their stories on. Good um, point. That'd be okay. Yeah. <laughs> you're talking about specifically emails with the person that has been identified as Brad. That's is that correct? Okay. Yes, sir. Now, um, Mr. Maher says there's no evidence that they actually had relations or that they actually... Met. I don't see anywhere in the law, either in the rules or in the case law, that says they actually have to meet for this to be a motive for murder. Uh, it's, just, it's so insane that um, the, the fact that I, I don't know. Thin again, as fuck. I'm not a lawyer, but the fact that I, I don't know. The fact that this guy, this is really just They're because this guy homophobia. emailed yeah. someone, emailed someone to have sex with him, to, to with an escort, to have sex with him. That there's no way that if a man did that, he could have a good relationship with his wife. That there's no way that could happen. People write their own fucking rules. And by the way, bisexuality did not come around in the last 10 years. It's not even taken seriously now. It's clearly something that has existed since the beginning of time and also having an idyllic relationship with someone means being able to be honest with someone and saying to that person I love you so much you are my soulmate I love our family sometimes I need this other thing is that okay and if she said yes and I think she probably did then and I don't think that being a bisexual and ha- and being a and having an idyllic relationship are mutually exclusive. I'll tell you, I, there's a difference. I think watching this documentary, when you see Michael Peterson's reactions to things and the way that he is in the courtroom and him trying to like choke back tears, I felt like this is a guy who's from another generation who had a lot of obstacles in his way as far as like being sexually honest with himself. But I don't think with with his wife, but I think it, it, like he this guy's struggling with a lot. And that, I think, comes out to people as like, oh, he's being weird or oh, he's being creepy. But it's I, like he's been leading like a secretive life for a long time. But don't you I think don't that- know that he was. I, I, I don't know that he was dishonest about anything. I think I think he legitimately well, loved his children. His, wife. his children didn't know. Why would you tell your children about your sex life? I told my children. <laughs> why well, sit my children down every day? I said, Daddy and I did this last night. Daddy and I, I did mean, that. I mean, yes, last it was night. a different time, but I I don't know that he was in sorrow or pain because he wasn't hooking up more. No, it's no, that no. Seemed that's to be not what I'm saying. Okay. I'm saying 
that like, I think that some of his actions and some of his, not his actions, but I think some of his reactions in court and the way that he is as a person might be somehow a little bit tangled up with this, like, he couldn't really be who he is to the world. You know what I mean? And so, like, there was some secrecy and stuff there, and then that ended up yes. haunting him or coming right, back because to because it made him seem diabolical. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. like... If I was on trial for something, people, the shit that people could, you were saying this earlier, dig up on me about me. They're jokes that we make on the podcast about like all the things that I jerk off with or whatever. You know what I mean? Like they could instantly be like, well, you're a monster. Oh, oh, I think about it all the time. Like every, exactly everything we've said on the podcast, throwing shade is available everywhere. Everything we've said on the podcast, everything that I've said on a a dating app, everything that I've said. And by the way, they're not even bad things, but they're sexual things. Yeah. So then I, I don't know, then bringing all this up and they dig through his computer to find pornography and and show which some of the pornography is showing obviously men having sex with men just to show and it's just to show and the judge admits this you know lets them admit this in court it's just to show that this guy liked hardcore porn which we're going to get to because uh Frida Black who's on the prosecution team who is truly iconic and I want to talk about her more I'm talking about somebody who uses a very thin tooth comb yes who, to who every hair is in place yeah. Consistent lipstick colors totally. for the whole thing. A very effective prosecutor. I oh, mean, yeah. A, a, a kind of a badass, actually. If Kate Blanchett ever wanted to retire, yeah. I see her going right into that cog, see, in that I, position. I see Laura Dern. I, I, I kept casting her because Laura Dern did that brilliant job in recount of playing Catherine oh, Harris yeah. or whatever mm-hmm. from Florida. Okay. So uh, the next clip I'm going to play is they actually bring the escort. They out this escort who really wanted nothing to do with this. Um, I think his name is Top Soldier is his screen name or his website. Would that be like a hot thing on Grinder if you were Top Soldier? Sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's play the escort's testimony because I thought it was fantastic. And he made everyone laugh. Regard to the kinds of men that you tended to have escort relationships with, can you give us some indication of their professions, for example? Sure. Usually they're, they are professionals because my fees were quite high. Um, I saw doctors, attorneys, uh, one judge. <laughs> Frida can't stop laughing. Um, it was not this joke. <laughs> Calm down. I, th- I think we can stipulate to that. Is it fair to say that the men who you would see were bisexual as opposed to being homosexual? In my opinion, I would go so far as to even say that they were predominantly straight with minor homosexual tendencies. All right. And did a number of the married men who you had sexual relations with have wives who knew they were bisexual? Most of them did, from my experience. In your experience, was it unusual for a wife married to a bisexual man to know that he was bisexual? Not at all. Did Michael Peterson ever do or say anything, either on a phone or in an email, that indicated that he was not in love with Kathleen Peterson? To the contrary, in his emails, unlike most of my clients, he indicated that he had a great relationship. Most clients don't want to say anything about their relationship. He indicated he had a warm relationship with his wife, and nothing would ever destroy that. Yeah, there you go. I mean, so I think that... that re- would have, that's 
case closed as far as I'm concerned. Me too. I feel like that speaks to the crux of it. It seems like the crux of the trial becomes if happy? he's hiding this, mm-hmm. what else is he hiding? The only thing that sticks out to my head of like, that is a weird fucking coincidence that you were alone with two women who fell down the fucking stairs. Here's the thing. And I think this is what you should take away from this. And we've got more to talk about. But buy a one-story house. Do not that buy is- <laughs> Don't watch American Sweethearts. Carpet your stairs. Stop calling it blockbusters. The last clip I want to play that ties into the bisexuality okay. thing is in the closing argument. And this is where Frida Black shines. It's a long clip, but I promise it's all very worth it. This is in her closing argument. And again, what they keep coming back to is this This had to have been an issue of him being a complete and total pervert. Uh, otherwise, like, what the fuck are we doing here? So let's listen to, and then the after of Frida Black is pretty much one of the saddest downfalls I ever have heard. And I I want to explain that after the clip. Anyway, here's Frida Black in her closing arguments. And this is, by the way, if you are an actress, take note, memorize this for your next audition. If you're auditioning for Tish, I don't care what you're auditioning. This will get you right in. Absolutely. If you're a community theater performer, get this routine down. Do you have the do you have it written so you can perform no, it? No, I'm going to though. I'm gonna write it down. Okay. Yeah, here we go. Here's Frida Black closing arguments. Action. We're dealing with a fictional writer. Some people even say he's a good fictional writer. He is a person who knows how to create a fictional plot. And then there's Brad. Brad's the escort. Do you really believe that Kathleen knew that Mr. Peterson was bisexual. Does that make common sense to you that it was okay with her to go to work while he stayed at home and communicated by email and telephone with people he was planning on having sex with? And this isn't just a computer relationship. I asked Brad what they were gonna do, he told you. And I don't mean to offend anybody, but he did say they were gonna have anal sex. The only reason that meeting didn't take place was because of Brad. It wasn't because of Mr. Peterson. He was fired up and ready to go. And you honestly believe that Kathleen Peterson knew about that? Would have approved of that? And it wasn't just Brad. You saw the rest of the things on his computer. Once again, these things are so filthy, we can't even show them on TV. Filth. Pure tea filth. Pure tea filth. What's, Get it, what's Frida. Pure tea? It's a Southern expression. This is just any which way. This is called... Hardcore. Do you think she approved of this type of activity while she's off at work or sleeping? I argue to you that doesn't make sense. And that's not the way that soulmates conduct themselves. That is not. I have, I have, to, to, I have to, I, wait, I, I have to, I just came to a conclusion okay. that could have busted this whole case wide open. You're on her side and you think he's guilty. <laughs> First of all, I've never. I grew up in Texas. I never heard the phrase pure, pure tea. My grandparents said it all the time. Filth? Yeah. Purity? Purity trash. Purity filth. Oh, I love it. Okay. Yeah. Now, here's how you could have blown the case wide open, and I just thought of this. When she says, do you think that she would have been okay with him going off and having sexual liaisons with other people? I, let me tell you something. I'm in a very happy relationship. I love my husband. I love having sex with my husband. I have to if be honest I, with you, usually people who have to say that. Don't. Okay, sorry. I hate my husband. <laughs> I, if I, 
I cannot keep up with the male sex drive. I've got lots of, I'm I'm just starting my ballet career. I can't keep up with it. If I knew that my husband could go off and have sex with other people and was okay with it. Wouldn't you be relieved? I would be like, go, I have books to read. I don't want to sound like an old lady, but like, I, do you think I would be okay with that? I fucking endorse it. I encourage it. And I also think that in, I do think that they, that he and Kathleen had a very loving relationship. I think she was a wonder. We haven't really talked about her. I think she must have been a wonderful, wonderful person because all those adopted children later in their lives, all they all called her mom. I think she was an exceptional person. That must break their heart that their stepsister or half sister, whatever she's called. Yes, right after the bisexual thing, and same with the sisters. And this is what I also want to want to poke some hole in Frida's arguments. Uh, for, I love when she says purity filth. I love when she says shows them pictures and says, this is hardcore porn. Her assumptions are so wild. The first is that he's a writer, so he's a liar and could be a murderer because he's an artist. <laughs> so if you are if you happen to be in the arts at all, you're – you're, by the way, you probably are a liar. It sounds like a – But you're not a murderer. It sounds like Berlin pre-Nazis. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and then the second thing she, uh, she says is that there's no way that you can be a soulmate and desire someone else. So that must make you a murderer. Also, what a weird prison to put yourself in to never like – look at someone and be like, I, they're not hot because I'm in a relationship. And the third thing she says is, is that if you keep hardcore porn on your computer, which again, this was not illegal pornography. This was just gay, really, I think, yeah, gay male pornography, um, that you're capable of anything, including murder. That is what is so fucking scary about this whole thing is that, again, literally go through my computer and I guess that in some states, hopefully Please. not California, but who fucking knows? In some states, you would be looked at as the most disgusting person alive capable of anything. Okay. Oh, I wanted to mention one more thing yes. about Frida before we- um, We'll close the book on Frida. Oh, yeah. You didn't tell us how what all went so down. So Frida uh, ended up running for district attorney a few times. She didn't win. Then she ended up with two DWIs and was last seen working at a dry cleaners in Durham called Durham Cleaners. That is a That I'm is the set if, if listen, I don't the Frida Black her. movie belongs to me. And by the way, in it, she's a hero and a villain like maybe Michael Peterson. Those are the most interesting people. The most interesting people are people who have maybe murdered. Okay, one of the most interesting people is a straight up homophobe. Yeah. And the other one is the person at <laughs> So the- much I hate myself. <laughs> I do wonder like because, again, I just want to go back to the thing of, like, I am 95% sure he did not do this. But there is 5% of me that really – and this is so Durham of me. But there is 5% of me that thinks, like, how could this have happened twice? Okay. Uh, well, I don't know. I, I Again, don't live in multi-level homes. But listen. In any country. In any country. Yeah. I think – okay, so it's Yeah, what are your takeaways? The first half of the movie is the – Essentially, the one that I had seen in the early 2000s. The first, like, eight episodes. And then the next are his release and then retrial and then kind of the conclusion of that. Which I think there's a really interesting episode in there where he talks very bluntly about the bisexuality and and his thoughts on it. He's... I think he's a really smart man. He's a war veteran. I'm sure there's some some stuff going on there. None of his life, nothing in his life, to me, points to the fact that he could take his his... Uh, wife's life and I it's hard for me too with people who've been through war like I don't know my dad's a Vietnam vet and I kept thinking of him during the whole thing and I just kept thinking like my dad has seen some shit my dad still has shrapnel in his knee my dad has been through it I just think after you've seen something like that and that kind of carnage and and um sadness I just don't know how you could do it yourself 
Right. I, I don't know. I, I just, I don't believe that, you know? Yeah. Aaron, I just got chills. My oh, because it's cold in here? My, oh, yeah, it's freezing. My ultimate takeaway about it is, and I'm not through the whole thing. I really just watched the main trial, is that this is only following the defense and that team. This is also before a bells and whistles style of doing something. There is not a score. There is not um, anything flashing in front of you. It's really- If you live in California and you have access to a weed license, maybe you'd do some of that to get through through some of the episodes. (laughs) Truly the last thing I would do. (laughs) Oh, drink weed lemonade and then watch a murder talk. Yes. Um, So it it is a very basic documentary with a ton of footage. So I would say like, if you're looking for this sort of- Razzle dazzle of the musical Chicago. It's not here. You're, the takeaway is don't live in a double story house. Yes. It's not Chicago. It's not. You're not watching a musical. Homophobia was alive and well. Alive and well. And biphobia is still alive and well. And if you want, and it's a, and if yeah, if you want to get off a fucking, if it's not even, if you want to have a fair trial, you better be a fucking millionaire because the system works against you. Absolutely. And if you are in a relationship with anybody, you have them right away write a letter saying, "My spouse, my partner, did not and will not murder me." That was Aaron Gibson and Brian Safi of the comedy duo Throwing Shade. You can find new episodes of their podcast, Throwing Shade, every Thursday on Apple Podcasts. Aaron's new book, Feminasty, The Complicated Woman's Guide to Surviving the Patriarchy Without Drinking Herself to Death, is available for pre-order now. And now, let's hear your reactions to The Staircase. This tweet is from at Mark Duplass. Well, clear your weekend. The Staircase is on Netflix. This is hands down the wildest, most fascinating true crime series I have ever seen. Do not Google anything. Just watch. Thank me later. At Rita Bites, the best part of the staircase is the fucked up PowerPoint presentation rehearsal. From Bob Kelly XYZ. I'm two minutes into that Netflix The Staircase and already call bullshit on this guy. No way could anyone talk to their wife for two hours about American sweethearts. From at Katerina Jensen 7. Woke up early on my day off and now I can't get back to sleep because all I can think about is watching The Staircase. This is my Christmas, people. Tell us your thoughts about upcoming shows. Find us on Twitter at Can't Make This Up or on Facebook at You Can't Make This Up Netflix. Before we go, it's time for What You Watching, the part of You Can't Make This Up where we find out what the people in this episode have been tuning into lately. Aaron, what are you watching right now? Well, I've already watched Wild Country, which I love. amazing. By the way, I also want the rights to Sheila along with Frida. I want to write the Sheila movie. Maybe you should put them in the same movie. Yeah, anyway. Um, I also love the series Babylon Berlin. Okay. It's in a show about Berlin before the Nazis. Also, the opening credits are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life. Also, I will say Ibiza, directed by Alex Rickenbach, written by Lauren Kahn, starring Vanessa Bayer in one of the funniest performances I've ever seen. I mean, she's amazing in it. As is Phoebe Robinson, as is Gilly Jacobs. So I'm watching that stuff. And that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back in two weeks with part two of our Vox Explained series. You can find this show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Subscribe, rate, review our show. Tell the world what you love about You Can't Make This Up. Our music is by Hans Del Sue. I'm Colin Fleming. Thanks for listening.